0: Stir up our hearts, O Lord, to prepare the way of Thine only begotten Son. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may have heard on the radio, or perhaps read, about the lawsuit that the Archdiocese of Washington has brought against the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority. They have ads that were made for the Metro buses and the subway trains uh, with a very simple message, find the perfect gift, which is just a link to their website um, promoting confession. And, and Metro refused because it um, promotes religion. Um, so they, they had a, a minor setback in their first hearing before a judge. On Friday, but that's certainly not where it will end. Um, and you might have even read or heard about um, another public transportation story, um, which actually was international news. I've heard about it from people overseas. Um, the Virginia Department of Transportation um, pulled or put a full page ad in the, in the newspaper this morning. To, to explain to us um, what's going on, telling us that express lanes are coming to I-66 inside the beltway during rush hour. I, th- I, th- I think that's a week late, but still, um, the story that broke, as you know, is, is that some of the tolls were up to $40 or more, depending on the time of day when people were going in. And I have to f- admit, f- com- with Full candor. I had absolutely no sympathy whatsoever for the people that were willing to get on to I-66 during rush hour um, when a week prior they would have been forbidden from being there in the first place, right? Because they're just solo drivers who had been forbidden from being on those lanes when only carpools are permitted. Now they're permitted as solo drivers, but only if they pay a toll. Um, but believe it or not, the ad that VDOT put in the newspaper changed my mind. I now I have compassion because it the, the details have it dawned on me. Because listen to this, listen to how they say the express lanes will work. Electronic signs will display current toll prices at each entry point. Drivers will see two pricing signs before committing to take the express lanes. Drivers will lock in their toll price at the second pricing sign before entering the express lanes. Seems like a small detail, but what it calls to mind is that they can advertise a price, but then you're already on the road and you're already committed to it, and then it's gonna be a higher price than what you saw when you entered into the road. Granted, these are all adults. These are all people who managed to find, mostly, a legal way to get to work the week prior but with the expectation of being able to go more quickly at some cost, they left at a certain time and planned to get to I-66 inside the beltway at a, at a certain time when the only other alternative, even if they, even if the price was too high at the first sign, would leave them in purgatory, if not hell, of sitting in a parking lot, which is called the Beltway. So in a sense, that that information is too late. Now, I really started to feel sorry for these people when I saw another full-page ad, also in this morning's paper, that announces that a federal court has ordered these various tobacco companies to make this statement about the addictiveness of express lanes and tolls. I'm, uh, the addictiveness of smoking and nicotine, right? But I can imagine in a few years, right, something similar where, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court has ordered the Virginia Department of Transportation to make this statement about the addictiveness of express lanes and speed. Express lanes are highly addictive. Speed and the, the, the opportunity to pass other people is the addictive drug in express lanes, V dot intentionally designed express lanes with enough expectation of speed to create and sustain addiction and it's not easy to quit. What does this have to do with anything, right? <laughs> the opening prayer, right, the collect, and even just the little bit that I repeated, prays That the Lord stir up our hearts to prepare the way of His only begotten Son. We are are reminded of that same message when we hear about Isaiah, right? Paul's letter to the Romans doesn't use that language of Isaiah, it picks up other quotations from, from Isaiah, root of Jesse rule the Gentiles, in him we shall have hope, right? But we know well in the 40th chapter of Isaiah that very famous message, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. I hope, you, I hope you imagine, try to visualize what's being described. It's too easy for words that are familiar to just pass in and, and pass out. What's being described is the ruining of a beautiful landscape, in a sense, right? The beautiful mountains, the hills, all of it's just being made flat. So this is a, it's an image that's useful to describe something that's not being made for our immediate pleasure. It's being made, the road is being made easy for our utility. The road and the landscape have one purpose to get us to the destination. It's made as simple and as straightforward as possible. We tend to like difficult roads that Twist and turn and scare us and take us to interesting places that surprise us how did how, how does our decision to sin usually unfold? We usually decide one small sin. we choose that, and we know that i 'm not choosing something really bad i 'm just choosing some, this little thing right It may be a an instance of revenge and anger, or an instance of pleasure or exhilaration or affection or, or you know, some uh, way that it appeals to our vanity or our pride. But it's just a small deviation. We're not choosing anything really bad, but, but we go down that road of that small deviation, and then it twists, and then it turns, and it goes up, and it goes down, and then we're off the cliff. We didn't choose, we didn't begin the road because we wanted to go off the cliff. We just wanted that little turn, right? It's like the tolls where you plan to take that other road. It, it's more interesting. It's more exhilarating. There's a little cost. You don't expect it to be a big cost, just a little cost. And then once, you're, once it's too late for you to do otherwise, you realize this is a, there's a big sticker price here. This is not what I intended. What we also associate with this time of Advent, St. John the Baptist, and these readings and references to Isaiah, especially when we hear the voice crying out in the wilderness, is this singular attention on the last and greatest prophet, on St. John the Baptist, on the great precursor. But if you, if you read Isaiah more carefully, and not just chapter 40, but 41 and 42, you realize that the prophet is talking at times about someone singular. He's also talking about Israel in general. It's the people of God that's supposed to be the voice crying out in the wilderness, not just one person. This comes across clearly when Isaiah speaks about the, you know, the various qualities of this voice crying out in the desert. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send. Who is blind as my dedicated one? We're blind as the servant of the Lord. He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. It's certainly not about St. John the Baptist. That's about us. It's about the people of God are not just supposed to say, well, we have one great prophet. No, we're supposed to be that as a people, as a nation, as a, and with Christ as a church, as the body of Christ. And so that prayer, again, go back to the collect, stir up our hearts, O Lord, to prepare the way of thine only begotten Son. If we heard those words taken to mind, we're probably first thinking to apply them as regards my own own spiritual life. I need to prepare the twists and turns in my heart and my soul and try to make them straight to be prepared to receive Christ in addition to that it's for the sake of of smoothing roads and lowering hills and raising filling in valleys so that the world can can recognize her savior and choose the path that leads to heaven This is emphasized after communion. When, when we pray again with, with the, the, the landscape in mind is that, that, that dangerous valley that we have to navigate. We can't navigate it on our own. It's impossible. It's only with Christ. Not only is the valley filled with dangerous turns and cliffs, but it's also dark, And Christ is our light. We'll pray then. Filled with the food of spiritual nourishment, we humbly entreat thee, O Lord, that by our partaking of this mystery, thou wouldst teach us to despise the things of earth and to love those of heaven. It's like how we pray to God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Teach us to cling to you, to follow you no matter what. We will go into harm's way. Please make sure that we never find ourselves in a place where with your grace we are still incapable of finding the way home. Help us, teach us to recognize all the evil things that we need to shun. To stay far away from the things and the people that can deceive us. And to stay on that really boring, not terribly fast, straight and steady road that ultimately takes us to the only place where we will be happy. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.